This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate Valley. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I'm ready to party. Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So is it officially Christmas now? Yes. Well, it is, but somebody won't let me put up the Christmas decorations till next week. Well, it wasn't December yesterday. Yeah, but it's December right now. <laughs> I, op- I opened my first door on the advent calendar, therefore... It's Christmas. Therefore, where's my tree? And you say that with no shred of uh, arrested development of I open my advent calendar as a woman in his 30s who's married. Uh, no, I have a dairy milk advent calendar. And you, dear sir, have a Malteser advent I calendar, do. which I have to say, my parents bought mm. us and my mum is still making us stockings. God. For Christmas this year. <laughs> so. And they talk about why are millennials weak? <laughs> We're weak because my mummy still my mummy still makes us stockings. Though apparently these ones won't have sweets in. Right. Because we're too grown up for streets for sweets, but we're not grown up for stockings full of little presents like pens and notebooks and tweezers and random bonkers. But hey, no. Take it, take it while while you can. As soon as we pop out a kid, we ain't getting anything. <laughs> So, if, you, if this is the first time you are listening to us, this is his film, Her Movie. Yes. And what are we? We are a podcast who takes a situation and we put films to it. We each pick a film. Yeah. And uh, this week has caused a little bit of controversy. It has. It has. Because this week the film was like winter warmer. Basically films that make you feel good. Well, Chris, like not Christmas films. It's the caveat of make you feel good, which I think was a bit confusing. Yes. because there was no there was no caveat. Well, no, because we were talking winter warmer films, films. The film that Jordan originally picked, he said, makes you feel like a big jumper. Because there's which, loads of knitwear no, in it. You did not explain that to me. If I feel, if you say a film, oh, it makes you feel like you're wearing a big like jumper. It's like oh, it's cozy. And it's warm, and it makes you feel like good and everything. What film did you pick, Jordan, to begin with? Inside Lewin Davies. He runs a cat over. <laughs> he steals a cat. I ended up crying, and I just went, "No, we're not watching it." We we will do, I think, a little bonus episode on um, the fiasco that it was. But yes, we are doing winter movies. It feels quite apt as well because this weekend. <laughs> We've Cumbria, had a big cold snap. Cumbria's just being blanketed in ice. We, have, we skidded going down the hill yeah. earlier on. <laughs> so it feels quite fitting to do our winter movies. Um, yes. So, fiasco aside. Yes. What did you choose? I picked the 1993 classic Groundhog Day. Yes, the Bill Murray vehicle. It is. And what did you pick? I picked 2011's Hugo. 
um, the Martin Scorsese film. I like that film as well. So yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that. Yes. Um, I don't think we've got anything to really talk about. Um, we're doing well. We can kind of talk about all cover in the next few weeks. Yes, because um, people plans. It's yeah, going to be end of the year, and people can get involved. So next week we'll be doing the quintessential christmas movie yes so this is the type of christmas movies that you expect to be watching round about the holidays yes and the week after that we'll be doing alternative christmas movies yes so that'll be an interesting one to take because there is some weird messed up movies that take place over christmas there's also i know you know what my alternative what christmas one is and it's one that i always watched like around christmas but it's messed up cool it's great. Still a kid's one, but it's a messed up kid's <laughs> film. So that's our next few weeks. So if you've got any ones that you uh, would like us to talk about or just get involved, you can catch us on Instagram on yes. at his film, her movie podcast. Yes. Twitter on at his film, her movie, or just give us an email on hfhmpodcast at gmail.com. That is correct. But I think we should just might as well just get in, involved, get started with our podcast, I think we're going to be talking about Groundhog Day first. Yes, we can do that one first. I was in the Virgin Islands once. I met a girl. We ate lobster, drank pina coladas. At sunset, we made love like sea otters. That was a pretty good day. Why couldn't I get that day? You know, some guys would look at this glass and they would say, you know, that glass is half empty. Other guys would say, that glass is half full. I think you was a glass is half empty kind of guy, am I right? What would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered? That about sums it up for me. Okay, so this is the 1993 film, Groundhog Day. It was directed by Harold Ramis, and there might be some spoilers in this if you've not seen it before. It's 26 years old, so it's fine. Yeah, but some people thought Titanic was was, was just a film. They didn't realise it was real. <laughs> so some people may not have seen Groundhog Day. It took me a long time to see this film. Right. Um, so, uh, oh, do you want my... Yeah, your 10-word ten, ten synopsis. My 10-word synopsis is Grouch gains insight um, on life fulfilment through year-long deja vu. Right, okay. Well, you just said year-long. We'll talk about that. Um, because there's an interesting little thing here. But go on. So what, what did you think about Groundhog Day? Well, I enjoy Groundhog Day. There is some points in it. So basically, it is Bill Murray, yeah, um, and Andy McDowell. McDowell. Um, Bill plays um, Phil. Phil, who is the weatherman. Yeah, and um, for anybody listening in America, please explain Groundhog Day to me. Yeah, because Phil goes to um. Oh, what's it called? I can't remember what... Punxsutawney? It's something like that. Punxsutawney. Goes to this cute little town where they have their own little groundhog 
who's also called Phil. Yeah. Um, um, to cover it, and if Phil sees his shadow when he comes out of his little house, it means that he's going. They're going to have another six weeks of winter. Mm. How do you know if a groundhog sees his shadow? Well, I think it, it's it's a ridiculous, ridiculous sort of tradition. Now, but he, I just don't understand it because yeah. we were discussing. We don't have any in the UK that are based on these sorts of traditions. No. Um, we have like. The summer and the winter solstice. But, but, but that's a scientific that's thing. That's a scientific yeah. thing. We have Guy Fawkes. Yeah, which is a historical event. Yeah. Um, Halloween, pagan ritual. Yeah. Well, based on that. Um, Christmas, pretty standard. <laughs> pretty standard for Christianity, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and um, was also put on the, is on the same day, apparently, as another pagan ritual. Hmm. Um, can't think of any random ones where we just get a giant squirrel out of a hole and ask it if winter's going to be carrying on. Well, at least not in this century. Not in this century, anyways. Or this age. <laughs> if they asked it up in Cumbria, it would be like, what are you asking me for? Gosh, you're not going to have any summer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they go up there to film that. And the next day, Phil wakes up um, after they get trapped there by a big snowstorm. Yeah. And it's Groundhog Day again. And then it's Groundhog Day again, and again, and again. And at first, Phil kind of goes, he's not a great person. No. He's mean to other people. He looks down his nose at them. He, he thinks that he's better than yeah. everybody. Um, And it's kind of asking the question, what would you do if there was no tomorrow? tomorrow? And so he starts off and he does the usual things. Um. Gets it, drunk and he does all kinds of silly things. Gets reckless. Gets and... really reckless. and But then he gets really depressed mm-hmm. and he tries to kill himself quite a few times. Yeah. Then he just gains acceptance of that. And then he gets quite manipulative and he starts trying to... Um, creep on. Creep on his producer, who is played by Andy McDowell, and her name is Rita. Yeah. Um. So he basically goes on dates with her and uh, finds out what her favourite drink is, find out that she studied um, uh, medieval French poetry. Um, So then he learns some. He basically just becomes a bit of a creep. And when he realises that isn't working, he becomes a better person. He starts learning, like there's the little boy who falls out of the tree. Mm. He finds out the time that that happens and he catches him every single day. Um, there's the homeless guy who dies. Um, so he feeds him and he clothes him and he tries to keep him warm and he gets him to the doctors and everything and tries to save his life every single day. Um, he learns how to play the piano. He buys life insurance from an old family, from an old friend. And eventually he does all this sort of stuff and it accumulates into the last day, which is Groundhog Day. Um, or the last time around Groundhog Day come, happens, and Rita actually falls for him just through all this stuff that he's learned. He's literally had. Now I thought it was a year. No, we we could talk about that because it's it's been sort of, um, no, no, not researched, but there was um something on the internet that actually did the mathematics behind it all. Mm-hmm. So it said that you need to do ten thousand hours of something. Become a to, to become an expert at it, 
and gone through all the different things that he becomes an expert on, mm-hmm. it's been calculated that he's actually lived the same day for 33 years and 350 days. Oh, okay. Wow. So that's when you start to see the, the cracks and how it's much more of a philosopher, like a philosophy. Yeah. Of what life is and of how people can change and everything like that. So yeah, it's like 34 years. Okay. Well, I always took it to be a year. Um, cause at one point he talks about six months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he spends all his time, he gets better, he learns French, he learns piano, yeah. he, um, becomes popular with the people of the town. Actually, actually, the thing is, if even if you didn't want to see Groundhog Day, you actually know exactly what's happened now. Yeah, tough, you know it. Come on, it's from 1993. Pretty much everybody should know it what does. happens on but Groundhog what, what, Day. But what do you think about Groundhog Day? Do you like it? I like it. Now, I know there's pro- people have problems with him doing the creeping and all this, but he does become a better person. Yeah. When he realises there's no point in him acting that way, Yeah. yeah. and it's not getting him where he wants, so he basically tries to fulfil and help other people. And it's only when... He um, realizes that the being an ass and creeping isn't going to make his eternity any better. It's actually when he starts to improve himself. Yeah. So he has an eternity to prove, pretty much an eternity to prove himself. He can learn whatever he wants. Yeah. He can become, as you say, a master of everything. And he only manages to actually break the spell by being nice, by being happy, by being he's improved the lives of everyone around him and he wasn't selfish he was for the first time properly honestly him and yeah i mean what i like about groundhog day um and it's one of the things where it's it is a great character arc movie mm-hmm. it's what kind of a quintessential one because that's exactly what the film is about yes it's about being one person who is imperfect and trying to become somebody who is not perfect, but a better person, a better version of themselves. He's more aware of what's happening around him. So, and yeah, the script is, I mean, people study that script for how tight it is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great, great script. And it's it's written for Bill Murray. Oh, definitely. And it's, it's, Bill Murray is the heart and soul of it. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because I haven't seen it for quite a few years. Yeah, but it's what I like about it also is that it doesn't. The actual event of the the cycle is never explained. No, it's never sort of like so. Where you, in some movies you get that sort of overly just explanatory, overly um, giving you all the the, the the rhetoric around it, and it's, it does not need it. No. You you understand it by reading the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that I really like. And yeah, and Bill Murray is wonderful in it. His deadpan delivery is just part and parcel <laughs> to this movie. Yeah, and he's like a cynical old bastard at the beginning. And yeah, it's it's an interesting movie because yeah, it's seen as this classic comedy, but I find it a hell of a lot more interesting as a drama. Mm-hmm. And the, the the actual ideas surrounding it, and it's all about how he spends all this time becoming masters of things. And it's, as you said, ten thousand dollars you need to put in to become a master of something. 
But for this, it's it's just a decision. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be a better person? Yes. Act like a good person. And it's easy. Mm-hmm. And you get more out of life being happy and helping others yep. than being cynical and um, isolating yourself. Yes. It's a whole film about life is what you make it. Yes. Um, and it, it, it really does hammer that point home, but in a very, very good way. And don't be wrong, it is still funny. It's still a comedy. Oh, yeah, it's still got um, really funny bits. But it's, but it's never really ha-ha funny. It's very... It's, you giggle at his his cynicism and mm-hmm. his sarcasm and that dry humour that Bill Murray brings to mainly any, or mostly anything that he does. Um, but yeah, it's it's a nice movie. It's not you say it's not it's not too long. It's a good winter movie because you get the always got the snow there. Yes. Um, the blizzard coming in. You've always got that sort of that threat. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I really do enjoy Groundhog Day. Did it make you feel like you were wearing a nice warm cozy jumper at the end when it all? You like oh that's nice. It did. See, that's what a winter <laughs> film is meant to be. But yeah, it's one of those as well where he is so unlikable at the beginning that it does take a little while for you to shake that. Mm-hmm. Because even though he is getting better, there's still glimpses of him being a bit of a dick. But I think that's and, it. I don't think you can ever... That, that's probably just him. Oh, yeah. That is that is Phil. Yeah. He is a bit of a knobhead. But that's as well, I think... But you can't always get rid of that as long as you at least show that you're trying. Yeah, and, and that's why I like about it is because it's not like he changed into a different person. He's still the same person. He's just a better version of that person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to be honest, I do have a little bit of an issue with the whole creepiness because it is kind of rapey. Yeah, I did write rapey. Yeah, and just the way he sort of manipulates her and you never know what's genuine and what's not. And you see that when things start to go south for him and he started over, and not, not get too quickly, but trying to get too quickly to the end. Yeah, he does. And he knows, he's learnt what works. Yeah. So he's like, right, if I just get all these out, just be like, oh yeah, I want kids and I want to do this and let's move to the country then, and let's then, do this. And then she's like, okay, now you're really creepy and I don't like you. Yeah. And that's when he gets into the depression. Mm-hmm. And that sequence in itself is, it's, it's strange because that scene is very much built for laughs. But the connotations it brings gives the film a hell of a lot more weight. Yes. And when you're talking about how long he's been in there, for example, if if you do want to go by that idea that he's been there for 34 years or whatever time when he's been there, like the depression. And it's also about routine as well because he does the same things every day mostly and hates it until, again, he makes a decision to, to, to like his life. Yeah. Whereas everybody's life to a certain extent is a routine Mm -hmm. and it's you actually agreeing that not agreeing but understanding that you life is what you make it you go to work every day um you you get up at the same time normally you'll go to bed at the same time normally but it's what you do in that x amount of hours to make you happy yeah and i think that's what's good and what actually represents well um in groundhog day I agree. I think it's good. You got anything else you want to add? Um, I have got um, some fun fun facts. Fun facts? Um, So, uh, Bill Murray was actually bitten by the groundhog twice during the shooting and had to have (laughs) anti-rabies injections. Really? Because the bites were so severe. Jesus. 
um, which I I actually quite liked, um, but I thought it was quite funny that one. Um, so what was the other one? They actually raised a family of groundhogs just for this production, so they then had enough uh, groundhogs in there. So I thought if they killed one, they had another one. Well, they, yeah, yeah, you know, they might not want. It's like to. it's like using twins in f- films. They if, don't if, do that because they're going to kill one. It's because they get no. tired. <laughs> oh dear. Anything else? Yes, um, the ice sculptures sculptures featured in the film were carved by a guy a guy called Randy Rupert, aka the Chainsaw Wizard. Mm. Um, Randy's actually a Pux, it's Puxatawney. 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 He's a Puxatawney resident. Has a shop there, and um, he every Groundhog Day he's in the park selling his wooden sculptures. They should have got him to make one of Boris Johnson and put it on Channel Four. That would have been so good. Instead of the ice sculpture. Yeah. But no, um, have you got anything else to add on Groundhog Day or? No, I think parts of it haven't aged well. Parts of the, some of the jokes haven't aged well. But I still think it's a good film to sit down and watch, even if you're just going to watch it in the philosophy, philo- philosophical philosophical sense. Rather than the comedic sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's one of those as well, because it's been analysed and written about and spoken about so much that it's really hard to think about anything new because mm-hmm. it's, it's it's one of modern cinema's most loved movies. It is. But no, we'll, we'll move on. On to Hugo. On to Hugo. We will yes. have a quick break. Uh, we'll, you'll hear some promos for other pod syndicate shows. Yes. And we will be back with Hugo. CS3P Combat. Player one, choose your character. Tired of film and television podcasts where the hosts exist in a blissful state of agreement? Player two, choose your character. While you're in luck. Punter. Round one, fight. Allow me to introduce you to the Chinstroker vs. Punter podcast, featuring two film and television fans from Birmingham, England, who enjoy their media in very different ways. But anyway, that brings us to the end of the plot of Blue Velvet. The plot. I mean, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. So join us as we catch up on what we've been watching from our own very different perspectives. Double KO. Round two. Fight. You can find us at csvsp.libson.com, also on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places that podcasts can be found. It just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I just just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? You like the 1980s, don't you? Of course you do. We all do. But have you ever wondered why that decade was the way it was? Have you ever wished there was somewhere you could go to get past the usual day glow sentimentality? to try and understand 1980s pop culture in a more social, political and historical context. Because if so, it sounds to me like you're ready to go beyond the aesthetics, beyond the nostalgia. Welcome to Beyond the Neon. 
Beyond the Neon is the podcast that dares to pull over the Testarossa, eject the Wham cassette, and take off the Wayfarers. If you're looking for retro reviews of Back to the Future, The Goonies, or John Hughes movies, you will not find find that here. If you're looking for top 10 lists of A-Team episodes, Nintendo games, or Stranger Things references, you will will not find find that here. here. If you're looking for long, boring introductions, Squarespace ads, or Patreon begging, you will will not find find that here. Because Beyond the Neon, we do things a little differently. In each documentary-style episode, I look at one area of 1980s popular culture and break it right down. And each episode features academic insight, guest contributions and interviews, as well as clips plumbed from the depths of the 1980s cultural void. Well, YouTube, mainly YouTube. To help illustrate the wonderful, perplexing, terrifying, joyous and utterly thrilling world of 1980s pop culture. Beyond the Neon might not be as regular as other 1980s podcasts, but that's because Beyond the Neon isn't like other 1980s podcasts. Subscribe to the show today and check out all past episodes by visiting beyondtheneon.co.uk. Purpose. What do you mean? Everything has a purpose. Even machines. Clocks tell the time and trains take you places. They do what they're meant to do. Like Monsieur Le Beast. Maybe that's why broken machines make me so sad. They can't do what they're meant to do. Maybe it's the same with people. If you lose your purpose, it's like you're broken. So yeah, Hugo, directed by Martin Scorsese from 2011. It feels, it doesn't feel like it's been eight years since that movie came out. No, not at all. That is a alarming fact but yeah it it tells the story of hugo who is a young clock time checker clock time checker yeah i don't know he's like he's he's a clock technician clock technician so clock time checker (laughs) so firstly before we get before we get into that (laughs) um i've got my 10 word synopsis yes and it's simply Young man helps old man find his soul again. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so, yeah, so you've got... It, it all takes place in this train station. In Paris. In Paris in 1931. hmm You have Hugo, who sort of lives inside the walls, makes sure all the clocks are um, keeping time. You have an inspector who's trying to get all the orphans because he's an orphan who lives in the walls um, and put them off into the orphanage. You've got a old toy maker, toy fixer, Mm -hmm. uh, and a few other supporting characters around. And it is the story of Hugo and the mystery between him and this automaton that his father discovered in the museum where he worked and trying to fix it. And then what happens when they actually do fix it and the 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 fall that comes from that mm-hmm. now again it's been out for eight years we want to talk about some some plot points where you could consider them spoilers but meh who it's cares eight years it's eight years it's eight years and it's Martin Scorsese come on yeah I haven't seen it by now but also I, think, I actually Martin Scorsese is an, an older filmmaker now and mm-hmm. he, even he was back in two thousand eleven as well but and he's it was this was obviously his first kids movie because yes. he, he's but it's where it comes it, it came between shutter island which <laughs> is a full-blown sort of psychological thriller slash horror yep 
and The Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. Which is his most vulgar, sweary, adult-themed film that he's made. This is like a holiday for him. And that's what it... It's the jump in between the genres that younger filmmakers would struggle with, but because he's such a master and he knows his craft, and to be honest, he's a student of film as well, Mm -hmm. that he just slips into it and it looks like he's made them all of his life. Yes. Um, Because they they look glorious and they look so rich and lavish. Um, Having Paris as a backdrop is wonderful. Always a good idea. But what I like about this most of all, is that it is a magical film about the magic of film. Yes. And obviously I mentioned the toy fixer slash maker. The plot point around this is that he is actually Georges Méliès, who was one of the leading uh, pioneers of film uh, at the turn of the century. Um, So... a big one of his, it's, it's sort of dictated in the moon. In the movie is the voyage to the moon, um, which is a hugely influential, hugely famous silent film from that time. But yeah, it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful little movie. It's so charming, and I think it does a bye bye that it feels nice and warm. And it you, does. It's a great sort of winter movie. You got you've got Paris in winter. You have got snow. You've got the environment around it and how. Um, Martin Scorsese builds his the texture of the film as well because you've got always got that lingering steam above everybody. Yeah, which I kind of love because I would be warm. Yes, and it, yeah, it just it creates a nice cinematic feeling to it. But um, what did you think about Hugo? Well, I've seen I saw Hugo a few years ago, and um, we both have it on DVD. Yeah, I love it. Like I love. The ornate labyrinth of tunnels yeah. all around um, the train station. Um, I like there's like a, a very split scene where he's where um, Hugo's running through the cafe and there's Dali mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, there's little nods to famous writers and actors and everything throughout. I love how all the background characters are still quite complex, but they're all searching for love. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Brilliant. I don't feel like... He is now getting serious film. Uh, he is serious roles. He's currently he got is. a drama. Is ne- it on Netflix? Netflix called Spy. Yes, which looks absolutely harrowing. Yeah. Um, when you watch like the trailers for it, but I think before this he was just known as a comedian. He's a com- yeah, a comedian. Didn't yeah. really do anything else. Um, I mean, it is a comedic role. It but is a comedic role, but it's much more. It's serious. It, yeah, I mean, Sacha Baron Cohen's stick was he was a very good improviser. Yes, could stick to character. So he obviously yes. did. Borat and he did Ali G and he Loved did Bruno. So therefore his it was much more a documentary style of staying being yes. so good to stay in character but not actually give a perform no, he's giving a performance really with Bor- Borat and things like that. Yes, but, but then he's still interacting with people around him who aren't giving a performance yeah. and just how he can bounce off them and the vibe and take what they've said mm. or done. But as the inspector in this, um it's it's kind of a little bit more harrowing. 
you see when he does eventually catch Bruno about how he... Hugo. Hugo, what did I say? Bruno. Bruno. (laughs) When he catches Hugo um, about how he goes, you'll go to the orphanage and you'll learn uh, how to take orders and routine and this and you don't need family. And I went, I'm fine, you can just do this. And he's like, you're obviously not fine, sweetie. (laughs) You have obviously got some really bad memories. And then he talks about how he was injured in the Great War. Yeah. And he's so ashamed of his injury. And it's a little, it seems to be like a survivor's guilt. It's like, why did I come home mm. and all these other men didn't? And, and that's what I, I, I like about the movie is the fact that at the centre of it, you've got this automaton. Yes. This automaton that's broken and Hugo is there trying to fix it. Now, it does. The thing is, I, I watch a movie and I, I always forget that this is actually made for kids. Yes. Because it does sort of beat you around the head with its message and it actually sort of spells it out at times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's, okay, these central, the, the three central characters, I think, are the Inspector, Hugo and um, Georges George. Méliès. And all three of them are broken in some sort of way. Yes. And throughout the help of all three of them, they all get fixed. Yes. And that is a lovely analogy running through the movie and a lovely metaphor mm-hmm. and it's, it does beat you over the head with it but again it's for children it is for children but i think it's very good for adults to be able no, to absolutely adults can it, it's magical to watch oh yeah um and the fact that it's about like george melies was was a real man you can mm. then go and you can find out about him and see his artwork and everything and like things about when they discuss um his uh his studio yeah they that's how it looked mm. in the pictures and it looked amazing I mean, yeah it's it's such a it again it, it's a it's a magical movie because it does look so beautiful at times like when you've got the the real dark blues and then the yellow light it's like for example when hugo follows george Back to his house, and yes. you get that. You get the shot of Paris in the background. You got Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it's it, 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 oh, it's it's like it, it's a painting. The, it the, the way it's shot and the way the way it's done. But again, it's not even that. It's a claustrophobia of the train station as well and the walls. And mm-hmm. this was always touted as like well, it was Hugo three D. So it was Martin Scorsese doing three D, and the three D was really good in it. Mm-hmm. And you can see some shots that he, he's used were obviously chosen for that effect. Yes. But it doesn't take away no, any like, of the movie. No, you can watch it absolutely fine on normal TV and you don't have to... I think unless you knew that it was originally in 3D, yeah. you wouldn't notice. No, no. You wouldn't notice at all, whereas there's other films where you're like, this doesn't look great. Yeah. Um, I just... I do. I just think it's a, I think it's a beautiful film. The cast is wonderful. Yeah, I mean Ben Kingsley, like he is such a hit and miss actor. I mean he takes big swings at mm-hmm. certain things, and sometimes it doesn't come off. But in this, he is wonderful. There's a scene in it where um, Hugo and oh, I've got her name Isabel Isabel find the artwork of the drawings, and when oh, he comes yes. in, in he sits on the bed and said, he just says, you're cruel. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you, you, you understand the broken and feeling the pain. And, like, he is, this is one of, one of his best, of his sort of late latter life. I mean, he gave some really great performances in the 80s and the mm-hmm. 90s, but honestly, this, this was made for him. And he doesn't really have a lot of massive screen time, but... No. The what he where where when he portrays him when he plays the younger George and you can see him working and things like that. But there's a there's a moment which I think again, a master of the art. It's at the end where he gives his speech mm-hmm. and then he sort of dives to the side of the to the screen and within the second comes back on. But it's the actual George Melliers. Yes, and it looks you can't see the cuts. No, and it's beautiful. Then you get to see the. The wonder of what this man did mm-hmm. at the time when he was doing it, where and there's stuff in there where you look at it and you're like, right, it's obviously a bit of like cutting and pasting oh, yeah. film and stopping and starting, but even now, like it, it's it does it does well. It looks his the original George Melies films look really good, and that's it. It's like these pioneers who. For example, film nowadays, I'm not sure where it goes next. We've we've seemed to have got to a certain place where technology has peaked at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do certain things. And the only place I can think of it going next is VR. But then again, I don't know how that would work with environments and things yeah. like that of, of where your perception goes. But to understand that a person took a brand new art form yeah and a brand new way of capturing images and was that creative to adapt it in a way to to tell these stories yes and to understand that okay if he snips that camera there and can um i mean the, the idea of painting individual frames so that way they could have color and okay. like you've got what 24 frames a second that's yeah. what film shoots shoots at it's seven minutes long mm-hmm for some of his movies, and it's just bonkers thinking about it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lovely, lovely movie. One of um, my favourite scenes is where um, you do get to see the young Georges Méliès, and it's uh, René, the uh, author of the film book. Yes. And he says about how he did meet Georges Méliès when he was younger, and there's a scene with the little boy um, and Georges, and... He is in full costume and he comes up to him and he just says, oh, do you ever wonder where your dreams are made of? Yes. Well, this is where they're made. Because that, his stuff was was magical. People yeah. had never done it. People were filming very serious type films. And here's him doing, people going to the moon and fighting aliens and going well, under the sea and I mean, the film dragons wasn't, and... Film was still... I mean, 1902, like, narrative film wasn't even... Like, no. you got to think, like, if the, what, 1895 was the... I, I, another one, I love how they... Um, Scorsese builds in these references to cinema because you've got, obviously, the sequence with the train, which is going on mm-hmm. the idea of train arrives at the station... And then, obviously, with Hugo hanging off the clock, which harks back to the Harold Lloyd mm-hmm. movie that I watch, it's nice little, just sort of snippets for the audience to enjoy and to and to think back of, oh, I've saw, I've seen that, and how mm-hmm. that bleeds into the movie. But also, um, kind of good. There wasn't any sort of Buster Keaton references. 
to be honest, if you if you watch there, there probably would be somewhere. Um, but another another couple of people I want to talk about is Helen McCrory, mm-hmm. who is beautiful. Like in this she movie, is. she it's all in the eyes, it's all sort of in a countenance. It's lovely, and Michael Stuhlberg, who um, plays the historian. Oh yeah, Renee. Renee, and like he turns he turns up in movies. I mean, he's been in a few lead movies, but he's seen, always great. Have you seen him where he's played like a bad guy in something recently? Maybe. I really feel like he's been in something that I've seen recently, and he's not played a nice person. I am not entirely sure. He's sort of one of those people who he he can come out and do the lead role and knock it out of the park, but doesn't mind mm-hmm. going back to be a supporting player. No. But he's always, always good. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, Scorsese is kind of in his element here. He's playing around with it. And it's, it's just him. He decides to make a, mo- a, a kid's movie. And what does he make a film about? It's it's about <laughs> film restoration <laughs> yeah. and preservation, which is one of his biggest sort of um, hobbies. And clockwork automatons, which for any child who'd look at it and be like, I want this, hope your parents are rich. Yes. Because anything that's like clockwork or anything like that, incredibly expensive. Oh, yeah. Like the animatronics and things like that. Oh, beautiful. And it's like, and it brings that idea of the automatron through into the, the style of the movie as well, because you, you see a lot of a lot of the clockworks and the inner, inner engineering of it all. Mm-hmm. And the film kind of feels alive because of that. There's so many different moving parts yes, and going there's always on. something happening. Yeah, it, it's wonderful to watch. And yeah, it's, it is, it's, I actually forgot how good it was. It's been, it might have been five or six years since I've seen that, but it, it's. I would love him to go back and do something a bit more family friendly as well. Yeah, um, it would be nice to see. But have you got anything else to add? Or no, it's just it's it's a film that I've seen before, but it's, I think it's just a beautiful family film. Yes, and it's one that when we eventually start having kids, I could see us playing again and again because each time you see it, it's it's just more more beautiful it's so visually stunning that i think it could hold a kid's attention i know some of the storytelling is quite dense and what it's telling you but i think it looks amazing yeah and it has a dog in it it does have all kids love a dog (laughs) so what's more to love about it it's great it is i think that's probably it that is it so we are back next monday with quintessential Christmas. Christmas movies. And I think we might as well have a little talk about, I mean, we'll have a little chat about um, the Inside Llewyn Davies fiasco. But, <laughs> fiasco. Um, but I think you're going to be doing something. I am. So, um, for anybody who's on Netflix, especially at this time of year, you know, there's always a huge abundance of Christmas films. Yes. Busy Woman in the City. Goes to a little town, meets a flannel-clad stranger. Hilarity ensues. They end up falling in love just in time for Christmas. Yes. So, I am going to be doing the Christmas cheese board, which will be these films. I'm going to watch a lot of them. So, please pray for me because it's going to be really (laughs) hard. And then I will be giving them a cheese board rating. Of from mild to extra stinky. 
<laughs> so that way you know which one of these to avoid this holiday and which one of them actually give you that nice warm Christmas feeling. We'll have to talk about which ones, um, which end of the sort of the spectrum it is because I like extra stinky while you're like mild. Yes, well, I'm going to be doing. I will. I will get all that sorted. <laughs> I already have one guest right uh, sorted out, so we will be doing that. But I need to catch up on some films before we do that. Yeah, and then um, we will be having at least it's, one it, guest. It's just one of the things is after watching these movies because most of them are of Netflix, and I think part of the the. the what you're trying to get is like these are sort of like straight to DVD these style. These are straight to DVD. Or straight to Netflix. The, the, these the, are the one pound Tesco bargain bin DVDs yeah. that come out year after year, but they're played everywhere, and you always end up watching some. Yeah. Because it's it's Christmas. But you're going to end up hating Christmas because some of these films are going to be awful. Some of these films are going to be really bad, but I'm really hoping then that I can help people to avoid. The really bad ones. Yes. And I will let you know which ones you should definitely watch and which ones you should definitely avoid. There we are. So you got that to come in the next couple of weeks? Yes, I do. So, yeah, I think that will probably be it for today. So That is it for we'll today. We'll see you next Monday.